This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. The Bible tells us that in the Garden of Eden, Adam had a perfect relationship with God because there was no presence of sin. But when Adam sinned, when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, they lost everything. And as a result, uh, mankind goes along, and as you can well imagine, just like it's, uh, it's difficult sometimes for you to convey to your children the things that, that uh, meant something to you from your past or maybe your heritage, your family uh, experience or whatever, those things have to be kept on and, and, uh, and passed on to our children for them to understand. And in many cases, even though we try to pass them on, they don't have the same meaning, don't have the same impact on our kids that they had on us. I, I wish I could uh, express to you the, some of the things that I got from Brother Haken. I've tried to give those things to my kids. And, uh, and, and to be real honest with you, I think I've done a poor job. I did the best I could and I did all that I could. But this, there's just some things that don't seem to translate from one generation to the next. And, um, and I guess what that means is every generation has to have their own experience with God. And we need to facilitate that for our kids as much as we can. But ultimately, the choice is theirs. Well, in the same way, when Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, there were a lot of things that his children and their children had no idea that, that Adam once had. People lived for a long time. Adam lived for 930 years after the fall. And so you could well imagine there'd be plenty of time to talk about certain things and, and try to pass things on from generation to generation but there's no way that they, how would Adam ever communicate the relationship that he had with God prior to the presence of sin? How could you explain that? So it was left up to God to reveal who he was to mankind. And one of the ways that he did that and, and one of the things that he needed to reveal is, is uh, what man lost and what he could regain through the work of God that was culminated in Jesus. As a result, God identifies himself whether he speaks specifically first person to say this is something about me or he inspires somebody to say it about himself, God reveals himself to mankind in seven redemptive names in the Old Testament. There are seven different names that identify who God is, who God inspires others to, to tell about and communicate who he is. And Dr. Schofield, in talking about these redemptive names, and, and everybody understands this, everybody accepts this. This is not something that's a denominational issue. It's not something that's... Uh, the Pentecostals accept, but the, the, the fundamentalists don't. Everybody accepts this. Everybody understands this. It's, it's one of the clearest things you could ever come up with in the Scripture. And so Dr. Schofield says that of the name of these seven redemptive names, he says the name Jehovah is distinctly the redemption name of deity. Now keep that in mind because these are all Old Testament names. So he says Jehovah is distinctly the redemptive name of deity and means the self-existent one who reveals himself. These seven redemptive names, I'm still quoting, he says, point to a continuous and increasing self-revelation. So it's names that God identifies or gives to himself that he wants people to know this about him. He then says, in his redemptive relation to man, Jehovah has seven compound names which reveal him as meeting every need of man from his lost state to the end. Now let's, let's look real quickly at what these seven names are. The first one, and there is no real order. I mean, I guess you could take them in chronological order as far as how the Bible identifies them. But, uh, but for the sake of our discussion tonight, I'm going to mix them up a little bit. The following are the seven redemptive names. The first one we'll look at is Jehovah Shammah. It's translated, the Lord is there. Now, the first time this is mentioned is in Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35. There are different 
variations of this. There are different things where God said, I'll be with you and, and so forth. But the, but the name Jehovah Shammah is in Ezekiel 48, verse 35. And it's where Ezekiel is speaking by the, the, uh, the word of the Lord about the, um, the inheritance, the division of the inheritance to Israel. Now, you know as well as I know that Ezekiel was long after the conquest of the promised land. It was, he was long after. He was a prophet that came many years, hundreds of years, after Israel had already divided, conquered the, the promised land and divided up among the tribes. So when he talks about uh, the, these, uh, the division or the inheritance that comes to Israel or is to come to the 12 tribes of Israel, he's talking about something that has a spiritual connotation. And as a result, he talks about a certain city. And the name of that city is the Lord is there. In other words, he's talking about something that has a spiritual correlation that illustrates the spiritual truth where God is always present. Well, there's a lot of things that we could attach to that. We could say that heaven could be called the Lord is there. But do we have to wait to heaven to get to where the Lord is? No, that's fulfilled when Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Now, how is Jesus with us or how is Jesus there with us when he's in heaven and we're here on the earth? Well, the Bible says that the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the church that's been hid from the ages, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what I want you to see in each one of these seven redemptive names is that what God said about himself in the Old Testament, who he identifies himself, these redemptive names were fulfilled in Jesus through his sacrifice, meaning his death, burial, and resurrection. So the first one is the Lord is there. We know that we're made nigh or near unto God by the blood of Jesus. The second one is Jehovah Shalom, which is translated the Lord our peace. Now this is the first time we see this is in Judges chapter 6 and verse 24. This is when the angel appears to Gideon and gives him the commission to lead Israel. The angel feeds him and there's a, there's a sacrifice that's made there. Gideon builds an altar and he names that altar Jehovah Shalom. Because the angel had said peace unto him and so he named this thing, this place. He named it the Lord our peace. And that reveals to us the redemptive privilege of having his peace. Now, remember what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, my peace I leave unto you because I'm going to the Father, but my peace I leave with you. Not peace like the world knows, but peace that comes from only the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we see that that redemptive name of the Lord, our peace, is fulfilled in Jesus going to the Father on our behalf following the, the crucifixion. The next one is translated, the next one is Jehovah Ra. I'm not sure if I'm saying that, Rayah, maybe that's the better way to say it. And it's translated, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, we know that David is the one that said this in Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But Jesus identified himself as the shepherd by saying the good shepherd. He identified himself as the good shepherd, saying that he gives his life for the sheep. Jesus identified himself as the role of, in the role of the shepherd in connection with his sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection. Not only that, but the Bible says Peter in talking to the church, writing to the church, said that pastors here are under shepherds, but we should realize that Jesus is the chief shepherd. So when Jesus was resurrected from the dead and sat, on the, sat down on the right hand of the Father, he didn't stop being the shepherd. So that's fulfilled in the cross as well. The next one is Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is our banner. This one goes back to Exodus chapter 17, verse 15. You remember the story where uh, Moses... Uh, uh, took the children of Israel into battle. Well, really, Joshua did it. But uh, nevertheless, the armies of Israel went out to battle against Amalek. And this was the one where Moses is standing up on the hill. And as long as he's holding his hands up, they win. 
when he lets his hands down, when he gets tired and lets his hands down, then they start losing the battle. Well, after the great victory that was won over Amalek, Moses built an altar, a memorial unto the Lord, and he called that altar the Lord our banner or victor is what it really means. This is the Lord our victory. And we know that our victory is through Jesus. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith in what? Faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So the Lord, our banner or our victory comes through Jesus. Paul said it this way. He said, thanks be to God, which giveth us us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The next one is Jehovah Sidkenu, which means the Lord, our righteousness. This goes back to Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 6. We certainly, this is the easiest one for us to identify because the Bible says Jesus was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. They had a promise of righteousness in the Old Testament, but we've got the real thing because of the shed blood of Jesus. And there's only one way to be righteous, and that is by accepting the shed blood of Jesus as a personal sacrifice. So that gift of righteousness is our redemptive privilege today. Finally, the last one, The last of the seven is Jehovah Rapha, and that's over in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. This is after they come to a place which had bitter waters, and God gives Moses instruction to cast a stick, a certain stick, literally a branch of a tree, signifying a type of the cross, into the waters, and it made the the water sweet. Notice the last part of verse 25. It says, and he made an ordinance... And there he proved them. In other words, he established something. This is not just a one-time event. He's establishing an ordinance. Now, an ordinance would be like a feast. The feast of Passover was an ordinance that he established established for Israel. And he said, this is what you do every year. Uh, Different feasts. There were different feasts in Israel, the Feast of Tabernacles and so forth. There were different uh, elements. There were different rituals. I'm not sure what, what better word to use, but these are all ordinances that God commanded for Israel so that they would remember who he is. We have ordinances in the church today. Communion is an ordinance. Baptism is, is an ordinance. And these ordinances are identified so that we would know and recognize the significance of certain activities of the church because of what Jesus has fulfilled for us through the, his work on the cross. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So he said he made an ordinance. Not only did he purify the waters for them, but there he made a a statute, made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them and said, verse 26, if thou wilt hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put, literally allow, 
none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon or allowed upon the Egyptians. For, here's the redemptive name, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, let me stop for a minute and give you a little backstory on this. They've just come out of Egypt. This is the first uh, event, first time God speaks to Israel after they've crossed the Red Sea and the, uh, Pharaoh's army was destroyed and so forth. This is the first place they really stop after crossing the Red Sea, expecting to find clean water or water that does them some good so they can drink and wash and do what, all the things that they need to do. And, and the water is not fit for anything. It's not fit for drinking. It won't sustain them. So God gives Moses instructions on how to purify the water. And the purification of that water, which is a type of mankind, is to cast the tree, which is a type of the cross, in the midst of the waters. And God makes an ordinance for them. He says, I didn't just make the water good for you. This means something. This means I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, the, the, the words that are used, the Hebrew structure of this, uh, this sentence, this scripture, is, uh, is really uh, applicable or, or appropriate or proper, correct, in, in one of two ways. And, and usually when you've got that in the Hebrew, it can either be one or the other or it can be both. I think in this case it's both. Because it means I am the Lord that healeth continuously, will heal you from here on out. I certainly think that's applicable. We can prove that by the scripture. But it also can mean I am the Lord that healed past tense. I am the one that has already healed you. Now, what does that mean? Well, remember in, uh, uh, in the Passover, just before they left Egypt, God instructed Moses to kill the Passover lamb, each house to kill a lamb, and put the blood of the, the, the lamb over the doorpost. And when the angel of death saw that blood on the doorpost, he'd pass over that house. But that's not all they were supposed to do with the Passover. They were supposed to roast the lamb after they killed it and took the blood and applied it to, the, to their house. They were supposed to take the lamb and eat the lamb and not leave any of it left over. And if it was too big a lamb for one household, then two households would get together or whatever. But the, the instruction was to eat all of it. In other words, partake of every bit of it for the strength for their journey. Now, the word strength is interesting there when the Bible uses that term for the strength of their journey because what did they need strength for? Well, they've been slaves for 400 years. Now, the Bible makes an interesting comment in Psalm 105, verse 37, I believe it is. It says, he brought them forth. God brought Israel forth with silver and gold. Now, the last part of verse 37 of Psalm 105 says, and there was not one feeble among them. Now, folks, these are not just young people coming out of Egypt. You got a lot of old folks. How is it that there was not one feeble person among them? Now, it doesn't say, and most of them were strong. It says there was not one feeble among them. How is that possible? We know at a, at a conservative estimate there were 2 million people, maybe more. But most people estimate between 2 and 3 million of them that came out of Egypt. How do you get a crowd of, of, of any 2 million people? We just take the low number. How do you get 2 million people of any size, any age, any group, any heritage, any anything? How do you get 2 million people together and there's nobody feeble among them? Now, feeble means sick. Feeble means weak. You can well understand that if, you would be, if anybody had a sickness among them or, or upon them, then they would be considered feeble. It doesn't just mean there was nobody that was weak. It means there was nobody weakened by sickness. Something had to have happened. 
for the Bible to specifically tell us that they came forth with silver and gold and that there was not one feeble among them. We know what happened to cause them to come forth with silver and gold. That wasn't just an, uh, um, uh, an accidental occurrence. That was something that they actively went out into among the people and God actively worked on their behalf so that the people of Egypt actively, determinedly gave them silver and gold and jewels and all the other stuff that they had, right? In other words, something happened. There was something that transpired that caused them to be with silver and gold. Well, why in the world would the Bible identify and attach to that a, a phrase talking about the condition of Israel coming out of Egypt and saying there was not one feeble among them unless there was also an equal action or an event or activity or something that took place that caused that to, take, to be the case. Otherwise, why wouldn't the Bible say, and God just happened to, to move upon the people of Israel to come out of Egypt at a time when everybody was healthy? See, the fact that the, the sentence, the, the, the scripture is constructed in such a way in Psalm 105, verse 37, which is a song of gratitude for what God has done for Israel. He brought them forth with silver and gold and there was not one feeble among them. It, 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 it implies at the very least, it implies an equal action for both parts of the verse. Well, what action could possibly have taken place to cause the people of Israel to be absent from sickness? Two to three million people and no sickness among them. Well, the only thing that we have any, any uh, legitimate reason to suspect as far as the action or the activity that took place is right here in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, where God said, here's the ordinance, here's the statute, here's the commandment that I'm giving you. If you'll walk in my ways and keep my commandments, I will allow none of the diseases upon you which I allowed upon the Egyptians. So he's making a clear distinction between Israel and Egypt. A clear distinction, which is a type of the difference or the distinction between the people of God and the people of the world. Egypt is always a type of sin of the world. So he says, if you keep my commandments, I will not allow, meaning God has something to do with it, any of the sicknesses among you that have come upon the people of Egypt for because... I am the Lord that healed you. That was me, he's saying, I believe. I believe God's saying that was me that healed all of you so that you were strengthened and made whole so that you could make this journey. And we've got further to go yet. I am the Lord that healeth thee. That's why I believe the word is used and it didn't have to be used this way. There are other words that could have been used in the Hebrew language to mean one or the other. I am the Lord that healeth continuous action or I am the Lord that healed one time in the past. Yet God seems to inspire Moses to use a word that means both. For that reason, I think it does mean both. I'm the one that healed you when you came, when you took, partook of the Passover. And I'm the one that will continue to do things for you to bring healing, just like I made the waters pure for your well-being. Now, let me ask you a question. Of these seven different names that we looked at, we'll go over them again real quick. Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide an offering. Did I skip that one? I think I did. Okay. Well, that one is over in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 14. That's used when, uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Abraham took uh, Isaac, his son, up on the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice. When, um, uh, when Isaac asked, Isaac is carrying everything up the mountain, and he says, well, we've got everything. We've got stuff for the fire, and we've got the wood, and we've got everything that we need, but we don't have a, an offering. We didn't bring a lamb with us. And uh, Jacob, um, 
Abraham says the Lord will provide himself an offering. Well, after God holds his hand or the angel stays his hand from killing Isaac on the mountain and he sees the, the ram stuck in the, the, um, the bush and they make that sacrifice, they name that place Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord our offering. Well, who is our offering? Jesus. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus is our offering. He's the sacrifice to be made for us and in our place. Well, we know that that's provided or uh, uh, completed in Jesus. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner, is completed in Jesus. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, is completed in Jesus. And Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our physician. Why is that the only one that the church says doesn't apply for today? And not only that, but who has the authority to change God's name from I am the Lord that healeth thee to I was the Lord that healeth thee? You wouldn't do that with righteousness, would you? The Lord our righteousness. You would, nobody would say the Lord was Israel's righteousness because he wasn't. He gave them a promise of it. But it wasn't fulfilled for Israel. It was fulfilled for those that make Jesus the Lord of their lives. Right? Who would say the Lord was their shepherd but not ours? Nobody comes to Psalm 23 and says, well, that doesn't belong to us today. That's one of everybody's favorite scriptures. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. Well, when? Has that been done away with? Or is that for today? That's for today. All of the seven redemptive names of God were redeemed, were fulfilled and completed in Jesus, which means not only did they apply to Israel to whatever degree they did, but they apply to you and me in the church. Now turn with me over to Numbers chapter 16. Exodus chapter 15 tells us about how God identifies himself. I am the Lord that healeth thee. I mean, I believe that means, as I've already said, I believe that means that God healed them through the Passover and he is their continuous healer. Now, 19 years go by. You know the story how they come to the edge of the promised land and they refuse to, to believe God. And so they're condemned to spend 40 years in the wilderness. And, uh, and the Bible scholars tell us, and I don't have any way to, to verify this one way or the other, but Bible scholars tell us that 19 years go by from the time that they come out of Egypt or, or start their 40 years in the wilderness. I guess that's a more appropriate place to start counting. But 19 years or almost half the time that they're going to be wandering in the wilderness uh, occurs or goes by. And there's a certain guy by the name of Korah. And he stands up and he, he complains because Moses is trying to, he says Moses is trying to usurp a position among the people that he shouldn't have and, and all this kind of stuff. And bad things happen. And then the Bible says that there were others that, uh, that spoke against Moses and, uh, and started complaining about Moses has killed the people and so forth. And uh, let's start reading in verse 44. Numbers chapter 16, verse 44. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces, trying to save the people of Israel. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly into, under the congregation. And notice this phrase, And make an atonement for them. And make an atonement for them, for there is wrath gone out from the Lord, and the plague is begun. Now, we don't know what this plague is. But we know that God is judging the people for their sin against Moses. And so what is the answer for sin? Well, the Old Testament answer for sin was an atonement. You remember part of the rituals that God set up and established with the, the 
temple sacrifice or the temple rituals and so forth was the offering of the lamb one day a year on the day of atonement to make a one once a year sacrifice for the sins of Israel. Now, atonement literally means to cover over. And that's all that, the, that Israel could have under the old covenant. That's all anybody could have was a covering over. In other words, there had to be some action taking place. Usually it was the shedding of blood. Not in every case, but usually it was the shedding of blood. There had to be an action that was taking place, that took place, that God was able to look at the action and the sacrifice that was made on behalf of the people for the sins that he committed so he could look away from their sins and look at the action, look at the sacrifice. Well, Moses knows this. And Moses knows the only way to stop this plague, whatever it was, I don't know if it was sickness or disease. I think, I think it must have been to some degree. But whatever it was, it, doesn't, it, it speaks of it as a plague. The Bible identifies it as a plague. So whatever this thing was, God or Moses knows that the only way to appease God is to do something about the sin. If he doesn't fix the sin problem, then nothing can, nothing can be done. This thing will wipe out all, all of Israel. So he tells Aaron to take a censer and put fire therein and incense. Now, in this case, the atonement was not the shedding of blood. It was an incense. And, he, I, and I assume this is because time is of the essence. They didn't have time to make a sacrifice. If he had done that, all of Israel would have died. So he says, take a censer and put fire therein. And go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them, for there is wrath gone out from the Lord and the plague is begun. Verse 47, And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700 besides all that died about the matter of Korah. And Aaron returned unto Moses under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the plague was stayed. Now, what was this plague? I don't know if it was sickness or disease or not. I'm inclined to think that it was in some manner or or another, but people are dying pretty quick. So whatever this is, I mean, it's taking hold of people in a hurry. So whatever this was, it was judgment. It was righteous judgment for the sins of the people. Folks, you need to understand something. People have some kind of wrong ideas about God, how he's sitting in heaven waiting to catch people doing the wrong thing. If that were the case, we'd be gone already. God's not looking for a reason to pronounce judgment upon you. But sin must be answered for. Somebody's got to answer for sin. If not you, somebody in your place or as your substitute. And thank God that's what Jesus did. But in this case, the sin has to be answered for. Now, the people don't have to answer for it. Moses has has Aaron answer for it for them as a substitute or in their place. But what I want you to see is very simply this. When the action of the atonement takes place, God is able to look away from the sin and stop the righteous judgment upon the people. But notice the fact that it says twice in these scriptures, the plague was stayed. The plague was stayed. Now, what does that mean? That means that anybody that had this plague, if it was sickness or disease, anybody that had this plague was healed of it. God's Word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Now the Bible says, whosoever will. Jesus said, whosoever uh, ever will, let him come unto me. I will in no wise cast him out or turn him away. In other words, it's easy to get saved. Well, it's easy to get saved from sickness, too. Same action of salvation that removes sin from your life and replaces it with righteousness, removes sickness from your body and replaces it with health. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.